Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. Good to see everybody out that isn't sick. It seems like a lot of people are sick right now. I was sick, so I know the feeling. Uh, so it looks like we have a good crowd regardless. Uh, tonight we'll have three songs and then Hunter. There you are. You put your head down on me. <laughs> Hunter has uh, the reading and prayer. Uh, one more song, and then Chris has our lesson for this evening. Our first song uh, is on the overhead only. Uh, it's 10,000 Reasons. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. 10,000 Reasons. Let the Our next song is number 821, 821, Hide Me Rock of Ages. Mm -hmm. 
Our next song is number 874, 874, Jesus is Lord. After this, Hunter will have a reading and prayer.
evening, everybody. Scripture reading this evening comes from Mark chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 34 through 38. It's the Christian Standard Translation. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200? Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another beautiful Lord's Day that you blessed us with, the opportunity for all of us to gather here and to worship you, to bring praise to your name and to learn about you, Lord. I pray that you put your hand over the sick and those who aren't able to gather with us today, be with them, comfort them, heal them from any sickness they may have. Dear Lord, also be with us as we go into the holiday season. Help us to remember what, true, what Christmas is truly about and also have your hands over those who have lost loved ones recently and for those who have empty seats at the table. Be with us all as we hear Chris's lesson. Let us take something away from it. Let us learn about you and how to be better servants to you, dear Lord. Be with us all as we leave this place. Keep us safe until we gather again. In Jesus' name, amen. Our song of invitation this evening is number 589. If you are using songbook and want to mark that, 589. Now, if you would, let's stand, and we'll sing number 44, Anywhere is Home, 44.
be seated. Good morning, or good evening. <laughs> it's been a really short day, apparently. Um, tonight we're in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, that's where we're going to start anyhow. We're in a series, uh, we're called uh, What are the Shortest Verses About what the shortest verses say about evangelism. Uh, so we just kind of looked at some of the shortest verses in the Bible. This one comes from Mark chapter 6, verse 42. Uh, but we're looking at some of the shortest verses in the Bible and seeing what they have to tell us about evangelism. Next year, our theme, the whole year, is going to be on evangelism. So we kind of wanted to get a little bit of a jump start. And so this, this series is going to take us through the month of January as well. So, in Mark chapter 6, what's going on? Well, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, you heard the reading tonight. And so, you, as you approach this uh, scene, the people have been with Jesus for several days at this point, And he is afraid that if he sends them away, as the apostles want him to, just for a logical reason, there's no food anywhere near here, if he sends them away, then the most likely event is the people will faint for lack of food. And so he says, you guys are going to be the ones that give them some food. And so the disciples look around and go, well, we don't, we don't have any food. Uh, and says, well, go, go around and see what you can find. And they happen to find a little boy in his sack lunch. Uh, and they, they bring the little boy in his lunch to Jesus. And he says, it's enough. What's so interesting about this story is, at the end of this story, they take up baskets and baskets full of leftovers. Noting to the crowd, of course, the power of this particular miracle. Thank you. I dropped, I lost my bottle of water this morning. I couldn't find it, and that's what I was looking for earlier. And so, Gary, thank you. <laughs> um, so they start looking uh, for this little boy, and they find his, they find his lunch. Uh, and Jesus disperses the lunch among the 5,000 people. What's so interesting happens in Mark chapter 6, verse 42. So 5,000 people sit down and they all ate and were satisfied. That's not going to be the last time you hear the word satisfied throughout Mark's gospel. He, he likes this word and you're in a section of his gospel where he's going to play this word up. And he wants you to see something about this particular word. In fact, he's going <clears> to... <throat> You're going to find it uh, several times in this little section. The next couple of chapters or so in the Gospel of Mark, you're going to find this word used a couple of different times. He uses it here in Mark 6, uh, verse 42, obviously. He uses it again in Mark chapter 7, verse 27, as he heals the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. She's uh, possessed by a demon, and so Jesus is going to heal the little girl. But uh, what's so interesting here is the... Um, well, let's just go over and read. Mark chapter 7, verse 27. Mark 7, verse 27. The lady says, um, oh, Jesus says, and he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Sure enough, verse 30, she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Our word here uh, is fed. If you go back and you look at the original, he's using the same word he used in Mark 6, 42. And she's satisfied, she's filled. 
Um, so what's his point with these two uh, passages here? As he, He's obviously trying to do something, but what's he trying to prove? What's he trying to get you to see? Well, maybe the third one clears it up for us. Mark 8, 8 is the feeding of the 4,000. And they, they too sit and they too are satisfied. So Jesus can meet all your needs. I think that's what Mark is trying to get across to us here. If you're looking to have needs met, Jesus is the only one who can do those things. He's the only one who can meet your physical needs. He's the only one who can meet your spiritual needs. He is the great sustainer, the great satisfier. And so if, you look, if you're looking for help, you go to him for that help. He is the only one who can do that. And so what do we gain from that? How can, what's that tell about evangelism? Well, certainly if he can sustain, if he can satisfy 5,000, 4,000 people uh, off a, uh, of a boy's lunch, he can certainly equip you to do the work of evangelism. And so... All things are possible through him. I think that's what Mark's trying to get across to us, is that he can fill us, he can equip us, he can satisfy every need. We happen to have a need in the church, the need of evangelism. So I think one of the things that this, uh, that Mark 6, 42 teaches us is he can and will equip us for evangelism. But we got to think about how. Go to Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, you find a different uh, scene going on. This is not the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, this is uh, the sending out of evangelists. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And so he is going on a missionary trek. He's looking forward to evangelizing and going into different parts of the country, but he's going to till the ground, so to speak, before he gets there. He's sending these 72. It's not just the disciples. It's more than just the 12. He's sending these 72 evangelists, including the 12, out to help till the ground for him. Something we need to understand is there's people that have been tilling the ground for you before you ever met the person that you're trying to convert, someone else has already tilled the ground. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3 uh, that he planted, but Apollos watered and God gave the increase. He, he sees in this setup co-workers, people that have come before him, people that will come after him, and he sees himself as part of a greater picture. And so as you try to evangelize to people, you're not alone. You have a history of people coming ahead of you, talking to that person, tilling the ground, so to speak. But you've also got a history of people coming after them that will encourage them and, and continue to till that ground. This is certainly true for Jesus. Even the Father did this for him. You remember a guy named John the Baptist, of course. He tilled the ground for Jesus himself, coming to make straight the paths of the Lord, right? He's calling people to repentance. Jesus needed someone to till the ground for him, and John the Baptist served that uh, in that capacity for him. And so we understand that as well. The people that we're trying to evangelize, we're not the only ones who are trying to evangelize them. There are people that have come before us that are and have worked on them. Like Paul would say, I planted, but nothing happened. 
he was in Corinth for, for a good long time, and I'm sure there were people that rejected his evangelistic hopes. There had to be people there that turned even the great apostle Paul away. Can you imagine sitting in a Bible study with Paul and going, eh, I don't think that's true. I know it had to have happened, though. Uh, and so he understands that he's just part of a greater whole. Now, that's encouraging to us because some people are going to tell me no, but they're going to tell you yes. We keep on tilling the ground, right? It's just like a good garden. Uh, if you have a garden, Kelly and I have a garden in our backyard now. And so every year, I've got to rent a tiller and till that thing. And it's hard work, right? But it's helpful. It's necessary work. And that's what we're doing as we try to evangelize people. We're tilling ground. And they may not say yes to us. They may not want a Bible study with us. They may not be converted through our efforts. But you're planting. And someone else may come along months or years down the line and they'll They'll, they'll water that seed and God will give the increase there. So I think that's helpful for us. As we think through Luke 10, even Jesus needed somebody to till the ground for him. Uh, and John the Baptist serves in that capacity as well as these 72 uh, evangelists that he sends out serve in that capacity here for him. So we should not be discouraged if we don't see immediate results. Someone else is coming behind us to water the plant that you planted. Second thing. He sends these people out two by two. I wonder why. Why doesn't he just send them out one by one? They could have covered twice as much territory. Why does he send them out two by two? Well, I think some of this has to do with encouragement. These guys need encouragement. Discipleship, evangelism can be a discouraging job. Um, and so he sends them out in pairs to give them the advantage of encouragement. You're going to need a ton of encouragement as you continue your efforts of evangelism. And so we need to be surrounding ourselves with people of like faith, people who want the same things that we want, the church, right? We need to surround ourselves with those people and link up with them so that we can share these stories, so we can share the successes, so we can um, pray for each other over over the, the, the struggles. Um, I found one website that says that if you are making cold calls, just it would apply to anything. If you're selling Tupperware or vacuum cleaners door to door, or if you're trying to evangelize, you have on average eight conversations before you get a yes. Eight conversations before you get a yes. So if we apply that to uh, that average to our evangelism, you're having to have a ton of conversations before you get into a Bible study. And so you're going to need someone who encourages you. I think that's one of the, the positions these people feel as they go two by two. They were there to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable, to continue the work. Next thing uh, he mentions is in Luke 10, verse 4. Let's, let's read up into that point. We've got to, to 10, 1. Let's, let's read 2 through 4. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's not the first time you've heard that, is it? He says that again in, in Matthew chapter 9, 35-38. He's going to mention this exact same thought because he knows that the broken will come to him. He's just afraid that those of us who know will never tell them. So he prays for people to be sent out into the harvest. There's so much work to be done out there. So many souls that are looking for 
answers, the looking for someone to satisfy them, and they're looking in all the wrong places, and we have the answer. And if we don't share it, how shameful is that? Verse 3, he says, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So he makes an interesting statement here, right? He says, You guys are like sheep, and I'm sending you out among predators. Here's some, a variety of things that you shouldn't carry with you that make your job easier. What? That's weird, right? <coughs> Excuse me. He wants them to be completely dependent on him. Sometimes we depend on other things. The knapsack, an extra pair of clothes, um, the, 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 the money bag, the extra sandals. All these are things that we would normally depend on. He says, you don't depend on those things. You depend on me. Because the power is not found in money. It's not found in uh, our wisdom or bringing an extra pair of clothes or more sandals. It's found in, it's found in him. What's, what's really interesting, though, is he says, greet no one on, on the road. Now, you're probably familiar with this idea of uh, first century Jewish hospitality. In fact, Jewish hospitality goes all the way back to probably before Abraham. But he's a pretty good example of it. You remember when three visitors come to visit Abraham? He doesn't know they're coming, but he falls out. Uh, he runs out and he meets them. He falls down at their feet and he pulls out all the stops, right? I'm, I'm going to cook you guys dinner. Sit here. Uh, I'm going to go through great expense. And it took them hours to do this stuff, right? So Jewish hospitality is one of those things where you go to all lengths to make this person feel comfortable. He's saying here, Something very much like that. As you were walking on the road, there would be some salutations, some greetings that you would have given um, people. You would have had to stop and ask about them. Even if you didn't know them, you would have had to stop and ask about them. How their family is, how their, how their jobs are going, all these kinds of things. You would have had to stop and work through some of these niceties, uh, things that we would consider small talk. They would have had to do those things. And he says, those things are fine. But they're a distraction. You need to avoid distractions. Okay, why? Well, because the work is so vast, you don't have time to deal with these niceties. You don't have time to go into these distractions. So as you see people on the road, you don't greet them. You just pass by and you find the person of peace. That's what he's going to talk about next, right? So these are some things that we can be doing we don't need to be distracted. Often we get distracted by a variety of things as we're trying to evangelize. We, we have our, our pet topics or we have whatever can distract us. He says, don't, don't get so easily distracted as you evangelize. Don't get so easily discouraged either. And so we have people that surround us, that build us up, that hold us accountable to continue this work that is so vast and so necessary. And so he says, avoid distractions. Luke 10, 5 through 7. Check out what he says next. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. What's he, what's he really saying here is you don't get bogged down with unresponsive people. He, he's saying you find a person of peace. What he means by that is someone who's not adverse to your teaching. But what it means to us is there are some people who are ready to hear the gospel, 
somebody else has tilled that ground already. God's been working on their heart and they're ready to listen. Awesome. That's the perfect person for you to meet tomorrow morning or tonight, right? There are other folks. People may have been tilling the ground. God may have been working on their heart, but they're not ready to listen. And so this, this whole idea here uh, of the person of peace, I think one of the takeaways for us is we don't get bogged down in unresponsive people. Sometimes we spend a lot of our bandwidth, we spend a lot of our time, our energies trying to coerce, trying to convince someone who's not wanting to be convinced, someone who's not wanting to talk, someone whose heart's not open. We spend a lot of our energy and time trying to convince them that he really is who he says he is. There will be a day of judgment. Here's the way of salvation. And they just don't want to hear it. Jesus would say, I think, don't, don't waste your time with those people. In fact, later he's going to say, shake the dust off your feet. Move on. Now, caveat. There are people like that that are in your family, that are your close friends, that are uh, just in your life. We all have a certain number of people that are connected to us, right? And if one of those people in your life that's connected to you in this, this tight-knit way is unresponsive, I'm not saying stop working with them. I'm saying don't, don't focus on them. Um, you only have so much time. You only have so much energy to give to anything, evangelism included. So while you may pray for them, while you may still talk to them and, and think about them and try to convince them on occasion, don't, don't spend a lot of your time on that person. Look for someone who is a son of peace, someone who is ready to listen, uh, someone whose heart's been, been already tilled. Luke 10, verse 20. Before we get there, though, we'll flip over to Luke 15. Just a couple of chapters over. Look in Luke 15. We need to celebrate our victories. Um, like we say, this is a, it can be a difficult thing to do. Evangelism can be difficult. Uh, and so it's easy to get discouraged in the midst of it, especially as it's a lifetime obligation. It's not something you do this week. It's not something you do this month. It's something you do for the rest of your life because it's who we are. It's where our hearts are. It's what our hearts long for is people who are far away from him to come close to him. And so our hearts long for people to move one step closer, just one step closer. And everything that looks like they're moving one step closer is a good sign and we rejoice over that. That's a victory for God as they move one step closer to him because eventually somebody's going to come along and they're going to take one more step and they're going to take one more step and then they're going to be baptized they're going to become a part of the family they're going to be saved and so this is this is important to celebrate our victories look here at what's going on in Luke chapter 15 you've got three different parables Jesus is going to tell here the first one is about a lost sheep guy has 99 sheep uh, loses one and what does he do? Well, he, he puts the 99 over here, and he kind of risks their safety. But he goes out and he finds the one, risking himself, risking the 99, but he goes out and he finds the one. What's he do? The important part for us today is what does he do when he finds the, the lost sheep? Well, he throws a big party. He rejoices, right? Uh, what about the, the lady who's lost a uh, coin? She's got 10 more. Or she's got nine more. She only loses one. Um, but what does she do? She sweeps the entire house, and when she finally finds it, 
she throws a big party, rejoices. The, the final story Jesus tells is probably the most pointed out of these three. Um, he, he tells the story about a man who has two sons. One son stays with the father and, and is respectful and to some extent um, loves the father like he should. But the other son is rebellious and, and leaves the father's house and uh, does things that the father would not agree with. And so he, he's in a faraway country, far away from the father, but eventually he comes back and he comes to himself and he comes back to the father. We remember what the father does. He, he throws this massive party um, because what was lost has been found. What was dead is now alive again. And that's the power of evangelism. People can live again, go from life of dead works to power and transformation. And you can just see it happen when their priorities change, their life changes. God's gotten a hold of them and he's done something and he's changed them. That's the power of the gospel. Um, and you see that here, but what's, what's interesting for us tonight is this, these people celebrate their victories. We need to do that. We need to take time to celebrate the victories. Even, even the small things. Um, if we're celebrating a spiritual conversation that, were, that went really well, uh, if we're celebrating a spiritual question someone's asking, sometimes that's a huge leap. If you've been tilling the ground with someone, you've been trying to, to, to get in a spiritual conversation with them, and every time you do, they, they shut you down, and eventually they come to you, and they say, well, what, what do you think the Bible would say about this? And your mind just, when your heart opens up, oh, man, this is amazing. That's, an, that's a reason to, to celebrate. We celebrate a friend's renewed interest in spiritual matters. We celebrate the small things, but certainly we celebrate the big things, the conversions, the Bible studies, and those things like that, those are obvious that we celebrate them. But I don't want us to get so bogged down in the discouragement that we never move beyond those. Getting in a spiritual conversation is a win. It's awesome. Someone asking a, spir a, spiritual, con a spiritual question is a huge win. You're making them think. You, you don't have any power here. If this is all God working on them and he's just using you to do it, you're the vehicle that gets it there. Um, so we celebrate, we celebrate these wins. Um, this is what he says in Luke 10, back in Luke 10, just a couple chapters back. Uh, as the disciples have come back uh, to him, they, they've, done, uh, they've done the tilling work that he's commissioned them to do. And now they're coming back uh, to, to, uh, to meet with him again. Um, this is what they say. Uh, Luke 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, check out this, because this is where he kind of throws them a curveball, and sometimes we miss it. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Well, this what? Well, that the spirits are subject to you. So don't be impressed with that. You don't, you don't be happy about that because that's what they were jazzed about. They were, they were pumped that the, that the demons were, uh, under, that, that, that they were um, submitting to them. And Jesus says, that's not, that's not anything to be excited about. You be, 
you rejoice. Look at the rest of verse 20. But rejoice that your names are written in, written in heaven. And so that's the reason to celebrate. And that's the opportunity we have as we study with folks that they can be satisfied in Christ. That's the power of the gospel. It can take someone who is greedy and prideful, lustful, always wanting more, and it can make them content inside of Christ. Isn't that awesome? He has that, that transformative power to be able to do things like that. I bet you've seen it in your own life, and it's so thrilling to see it in someone else's life, to see them take up his cross and follow every day of their life, to be involved in a ministry, to be involved in evangelism, to gain a new co-worker. Because sometimes people are going to tell me no, but they might tell them yes. See what we're doing? We're replicating ourselves. That's what he's called us to do, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, you're to go make disciples. And so if you're a disciple, your job is to make other disciples. You replicate yourself. And so we're disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's just a continuous stream as we watch what God is doing in the lives of the people around us. And he's just using us as the vehicle to get the truth to them if we're willing to go. It's a beautiful plan. It's so powerful to watch as he works through people to bring them to himself. And we get to play a part in it. How neat is that? We'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. How neat is that, that we get to play a part in his role in other people's lives? It's a beautiful thing to watch someone come to him in fact, in Luke 15, verse 10, he says, Even the angels are rejoicing when that happens. Certainly we should be rejoicing. And so tonight, maybe you, you haven't been baptized. and Maybe you're hearing something tonight. Maybe you've been thinking about some things. And maybe God's been tilling the ground. Maybe someone's planted a seed in your heart and you've been thinking. I'd love to sit down with you and study with you. I know several folks here would love to sit down and study with you. Maybe you've already made the decision to be baptized and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, a, a, a white-hot disciple of His, someone who never gives up, who is always passionate about what He wants in His kingdom and bringing that into people's lives. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Good evening, church family. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, as a reminder, the middle school and high school devotional at the Williams House after services for the $5 gift exchange. Um, for life groups, uh, Rick Keister's life group, life group one, um, will not be meeting uh, this evening for soup and sandwiches. Uh, Rick is sick. Keep him in your prayers at this time. Uh, Gary's life group will meet at Sheila and Kevin's house. Um, please bring finger foods. I have uh, their address, so please see me if you need their address. Uh, they don't live where again? Where do you not live? Deanna Drive. Deanna Drive. They don't live in Deanna Drive anymore. So, um, so I have their new address here, so please see me if you're planning on going to that. I'll give you the address. Uh, to put into your GPS. Um, also, this coming Wednesday is Young at Heart. Right now we have eight people signed up for, for this event. Um, this is for, we'd love to have anybody, college kids. You know what, you're not doing anything Wednesday. Come over for a free meal. We'd love to have you. Uh, watch these little kids and um, we shine. We'll probably take you back. Um, when you're in preschool, but uh, we'd love to have you. But this is for anybody who wants to come and watch these kids uh, sing, and uh, it should be a really fun event. Uh, so please sign up before you leave, so that way Connie knows how many people are going to be there. Uh, so there's a sign sheet on the foyer board, so sign up before you leave. Um, also, don't, don't forget about the holiday cookie exchange on that Thursday at 6.30 at Linda White's house. Um, bring two dozen cookies and finger foods. Um, also, uh, Saturday, December 17th, uh, we'll meet here at the building at 11 o'clock and head to Woodland Cemetery for Wreaths Across America. Uh, do encourage everybody to get involved with that. And that uh, Sunday evening on the 18th will be spare time. Everyone is invited to that event. Um, and the Thursday Ladies Bible Class uh, will not meet this month. Um, until after the holidays, uh, they will start the ladies' Bible class uh, starting January the 5th at 10 o'clock. So all ladies' class um, will not happen this month, but start back January 5th. Updates on a prayer list. Um, Judy Gerald, um, I saw on Facebook, will uh, have an anagram uh, tomorrow morning at St. Mary's. She had a sharp pain down her arm that went up to her head, uh, angiogram. Um, so remember to keep uh, Judy Gerald in your prayer at this time. Uh, remember, uh, also prayers requested for Alexis Atkins. This is a friend and co-worker of John Kelly. Uh, she's having an infection in her heart, so remember to keep Alexis Atkins in your prayers as well. Uh, remember to continue to keep uh, Terry Leap in your prayers as he continues with his cancer, Steve Rowe, Jennifer Baker, and uh, Judy Jordan. Keep them in your prayers this week. And remember all the ones... Uh, in your prayers as well that they recently lost loved ones. That's all the uh, the announcers have. Sorry it's so long. I see everybody swaying. Um, <laughs> if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. David, I didn't know where you were going with asking somebody where they don't live anymore. I'd have said something crazy like Harlem just to see what he would. <laughs> you had a lot of options there. Our last song this evening is number 839. 839, when all of God's singers get home.
thank you for this this day that you've given to us this nice day in december lord we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you today we pray that our worship uh, both this morning and this evening have been in accordance with your will and have been pleasing in your sight lord we pray that you will go with us now as we travel or as we uh, enter into this new week and we pray that you'll be with those who are traveling and we pray that you will be with us as we go about our work lord we pray that you will help us to do as we as you would have us to do. Lord, we pray that you'll be with those who are sick, be with those who are caring for those who are sick, Lord, and be with those uh, families who have lost loved ones, Lord. We pray that you will um, continue to watch over them and, and be with them. Lord, forgive us when we fall short of your will and go with us now, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. 